Let me invite you to take your Bibles once again, please, and turn with me to 1 John. As we are coming now into the uh, final weeks of 1 John. And as I said, we're going to be moving then from 1 John into Luke's Gospel. We'll do that as part of Advent this year and then continue. Uh, we're going to spend most, I think, of 2023 in Luke's Gospel. Uh, we'll take our 10 weeks for, uh, for the Psalms in the summertime, but we're going to uh, sort of deep dive and take our time in Luke's Gospel, Lord willing, in the next year. 1 John chapter 5. And we're going to read together verses 6 through 12. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together this morning. Father, now as we give, as we pause, we give attention to your word. Would you guide and bless our time? Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be a person of faith. Or you can be a person of science, but you can't be both. Have you heard this? I know I have. I've had folks quite upset with me because on the one hand, they get upset because I don't, I, I side with the Bible always as opposed to science. But on the other side, there are folks who are upset with me because I don't think we ought to read the first two chapters of Genesis as though it was somehow an ancient science textbook. Both groups are making the same mistake. They both seem to think that faith must be scientifically proven in order to be legitimate and believable. In other words, if it's not scientifically true, then it's not true, period. In our text for this morning, John is making not scientific claims, but he is making truth claims. And the truth claims he's making are not wild, leap-off-of-a-cliff kinds of propositions. Rather, he is making truth claims based on testimony. He's not closing his eyes and asking us to just believe. Rather, he has carefully examined the evidence and the testimonies that have been gathered, and he asks us now to do the same. Will we consider the testimony? Will we stop and look at those who are testifying to this particular kind of truth? Namely, 
that God himself has done something for us through Jesus Christ. Eight times in these seven verses, the words testimony and testify show up. So, do we believe God's testimony or not? That's the question we want to examine this morning. Now, on page five in your bulletin and on the screen in front of you, you see an outline for our time together and you see there the big idea. And the big idea is this. There are valid reasons to believe the supernatural testimony regarding Jesus. There are valid reasons to believe the supernatural testimony regarding Jesus. So two points we want to make this morning. The first one is this. Believe the triple witness. Believe the triple witness. Now, let's remember that 1 John is an epistle. In other words, it's a letter. It's written from someone to people living in a particular place who are dealing then with particular issues. And the issue that is, or one of the issues that's troubling the Christians to whom John is writing is something we now call Gnosticism. And one of the tenets of Gnosticism, uh, the Gnostics believed that Jesus became God, but he is not eternally God. That Jesus was uh, the first and the highest and the greatest of the created beings. And then uh, when the boy Jesus became man, when he was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, at that point when the Spirit of God descended on him, that's when he became God. But just before his passion and his crucifixion, God in essence left the building. So God left him right before he was, right before he suffered, right before he was tortured, right before he died. Well, John takes dead aim at this and tells us something significant. He says, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. So he's wanting us to understand that Jesus is God, not just because the Spirit of God descended on him at his baptism, but the very death of the Lord Jesus Christ proves that he is God's Messiah, proves that he is God's Christ. Now, we almost read uh, Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 54 this morning, the text that talks about the suffering servant, in which we're told it was God's will that his servant should be crushed, that his servant should suffer. Because again, it's proving that Jesus Jesus' passion and Jesus' death was not somehow a glitch in God's plan. But the fact that he would suffer and die, the fact that he would be crushed, not for his own sin, but for the sins of God's people, well, that was God's plan all along. Now, not only do the water and the blood testify that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Christ, but the Spirit himself testifies. He tells us that in verse 6. And the Spirit then is the truth. Do you remember in the upper room discourse what Jesus said to his disciples when he said, hey, I'm going to go away from you for a while. And they were like, um, not the plan that we were, can we vote on this? Because this is not something we really want to get behind. 
And Jesus says to them, no, listen, it's actually to your advantage if I go away, because if I go away, the Spirit's going to come. And the Spirit is going to lead you into all truth. And the Spirit is actually going to convict you concerning sin and godliness. The Spirit is going to tell you the truth. John then tells us in verse 7 that these three, water, blood, and the Spirit of God, they're all saying the same thing. They agree. They're telling us the truth. And they're telling us that Jesus Christ is God. And that's our problem, isn't it? See, it isn't just non-Christians that wrestle with believing this triple witness to the fact that Jesus is the Christ. Because the kind of belief that John has been talking about is more than mere mental assent. The kind of belief that John is talking about is the kind of thing that changes your life. Uh, several months ago, I was at a, a Gospel Coalition Omaha talk, and uh, the, the guy who was presenting helpfully pointed out that uh, in our world, the things that we sort of struggle with as very affluent 21st century Americans is we struggle as Christians with notions of comfort, control, and significance. Comfort, control, and significance. In other words, we want all three of them all the time. But when we understand, when we believe that Jesus is Christ, then our desire for comfort has to go out the window. Do you remember what Jesus said? If we would follow him, we must take up our cross and follow him. That if the world hated him, it's going to hate us too. He even goes so far as to say, blessed are those who are comfortable. That's not what he says. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. Friends, if we're going to follow Jesus, it means that our lives are going to be this cruciform shape. It means that we're going to suffer. And I don't know about you, but suffering is not very comfortable. When I'm suffering, all I want is for the suffering to stop. I don't care that it's pointing other people to Jesus. I don't care that it's filling up what's lacking in people's lives, as Paul tells us. I don't care that it's a wonderful opportunity to bear testimony to how wonderful and great and constant is God's care and love and mercy to his people. I just want it to stop. And yet, the water and the blood and the Spirit tell us the truth. Jesus is the Christ. And if that's true, then our comfort goes out the window. It also means that our control goes out the window. It means we understand that we are not our own. And when our king tells us to go, guess what the only right answer is? Go. 
And when the king tells you to stay, guess what the only right answer is? Stay. And when you want to argue with the king, and he doesn't say anything, then guess what? There you go. We are not our own. But we love to think we are. We love to think that we are the rock star in our own symphony. We love to think that we are the leading man or the leading woman in our own epic blockbuster tale. But no, we're not our own. It also attacks our significance. Because not only do we want to control our own lives and think that we're in control, but we also want to make sure that everyone understands just how amazing and awesome we are. And yet, Jesus tells us, the Bible tells us, that our chief end is actually to glorify God. Not to glorify ourselves, but instead to glorify God. And so friends, believing these witnesses, believing the triple witness the water, the blood, and the spirit that tell us that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the King, means that whatever desire we have for comfort and control and significance, it needs to die at the foot of the cross. Now, I know, because I've, <laughs> I've asked this question, in fact, Amy and I had this very conversation in our basement yesterday morning. But what if I don't want that kind of life? What instead, what if I'm at a point where I'm saying, yeah, I want to have a season where I, I don't believe and I, I want to sort of take control of my own comfort, control, and significance. Well, that's where verses 9 to 12 become important because we need to know what's at stake. We need to know what's at stake. See, not believing that Jesus is the Christ, not believing that Jesus is the King, is not merely a jab at Christianity. It's not a jab at a particular religious system. It's not even a jab at this historical guy named Jesus. John tells us it's a jab at the character of God himself. Look at verses 9 and 10. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself, and here comes, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. Now, remember, again, this is an epistle, it's a letter. John is writing to a particular people in a particular context. And since he's writing to people who are living in the Roman Empire with Roman gods and goddesses, there's something really important that we need to remember about Roman gods and goddesses. They would indeed lie to you. They would drink too much. They would fight among themselves. And they ran the world like it was some sort of bad frat house. That's how they operated. And so the question is, is, is the God of the Christians like the Roman gods? 
He's the God of the Bible like Zeus, but a little more self-control and a little nicer. Well, no. No. God is not a liar. And as we heard this morning, God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And God is inclined not to try to make his people perplexed and, and make their lives wondering, well, what, what's this God going to do next? And, and is he going to be sober today? Is he not? Is he angry? What's, what's going on? No, Isaiah 55 tells us that God is a God of compassion, that God is a God of mercy, that God is a God who is inclined to open his hands to his people and say, hey, would you just stop being idiots and come to me? Because I want to forgive you. But the lie that we're always asked to swallow from Genesis 3 on is that God can't be trusted. Remember the line of the serpent? Did God really say? Friends, Satan is uh, he's, he's sort of like a relief pitcher who just has one pitch. It's all he's got. He's Mariano Rivera. He's got a devastating splitter. But that's all you're ever going to see. Can God be trusted? Is God a liar? Is God lying to you? Is God somehow withholding himself from you? Is the good stuff in the back and God doesn't want you to have it? Maybe you're struggling with that this morning. If you are, please know that it's a, uh, it's a natural and common part of the Christian life. Now, it's not okay. You don't want to stay there. But it doesn't mean that you lack faith. It doesn't mean that you're weird. It doesn't mean that somehow uh, you're some sort of, of, you know, some sort of anomaly as a Christian. No, we all go through seasons in which we sit there and go, okay, God, I know that you're all powerful. I know that you're all knowing. But you know what? I'm just, I'm not sure that you're good. We have that. We go through that. And this is why verses 11 and 12 are so important, because we see the goodness of God held out to us in the promise of the gospel. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. He's not holding anything back from you. The good stuff isn't in the back that he keeps for just people that he really likes. No, God gave us eternal life. Well, how do I get it? It's in his son. If you have the son, you have life. But if you don't have the son, you don't have life. So this idea that I don't have control, I don't have comfort, and all the significance, all those things. Well, here's what you do have. You do have eternal life through Jesus Christ. This is what God has done. And I want you to note, it isn't just God the Father and God the Son. Did you note that all three members of the Trinity are involved in this? Les made this point this morning in Sunday school, uh, and, and it's, it bears repeating. This work of redemption isn't just Jesus kind of as the front man. It's, it's not like, you know, the Supremes where you had uh, Diana Ross and then two ladies whose names you can't remember. 
No, our redemption is Trinitarian. We have Jesus Christ and the Spirit testifies to it. And God has borne this testimony that God has given us eternal life through His Son and the Spirit bears testimony to it because the Spirit convicts us of the truth. We have this eternal life through Jesus and we have communion now with the triune God who created all things. Friends, it it wasn't an aberration. It wasn't a glitch in God's plan that Christ died. Rather, central to the identity and the mission that Jesus is the Son of God is the fact that He suffered and died. He didn't suffer and die for His own sins or for anything that He had done. He suffered and died for the sins of God's people. And it was God's plan for Jesus to do that. The Spirit, the water, and the blood bear testimony to us, and God has given us a tangible reminder to bear testimony to this fact. He's given us the table. For this morning, as we come to the table, we remember the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he wasn't just the Christ because he did lots of cool miracles and he had lots of great teaching and he got the lawyers and the the really annoying religious people to shut up because he had such great answers. No, he is the Christ because he suffered, he bled, he died, and he rose again. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this testimony. And I pray that in a world that wants us to, it's always kind of holding out this weird dichotomy that you can have faith or you can believe in science and fact, but you can't have both. Father, we thank you for this testimony. The testimony that is true, the testimony of the water, the blood, and the spirit, the testimony that tells us that Jesus is the Christ. And if we possess him, then we have eternal life. And so, Father, I pray this morning that we would not fall prey to the temptation of doubting your character, of doubting whether or not you're telling us the truth or somehow you're holding back. But the Father, we would see, as we've heard in Isaiah 55 and as we've heard now in 1 John chapter 5, that you are a God who is gracious you are a God who is compassionate. You are a God who redeemed for yourself a people, even at the cost of your own son. So we give you thanks and praise this morning. For we ask all this now in Jesus' name. Amen.